0: Welcome to Choir Talks. My name is Greg O'Neill. I'm the worship pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Madison, Mississippi. Thanks for joining me today. I've been reading through Psalms recently, and today I read Psalm 24, and it's one of my favorites. I just want to share a little bit from Psalm 24 with you. It starts this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The intro to this song here just establishes God as the owner of everything, including us. God is the Lord of all, and we belong to him. That may have been a little hard for the Jews to hear um, because they thought of themselves as God's special people, and they were. But God was the Father and Lord to everyone who belonged on to earth. They all belong to God. God is no respecter of persons. There's a great equality amongst all of us here in verse 1. All of us, great or small, regardless of race or culture, we all belong to God. Um, Sometimes we think of ourselves as owners, like I own a house and I own the property that it sits on. But really all of that's just an illusion. Everything in the world belongs to God because, as verse 2 says, He is the creator. If the introduction talks about God as owning all of it, the second verse or the second part of this psalm is ask a, a really good question. It, that question is: who though can know this great God who created it all? Here's what verse three says: Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? So, uh Think of, of the mountain of the Lord and his holy place as being um, the place where we, as the, the people of this earth, can come into the sacred space where God lives to, to know him. And uh, the question is, who can, who can do that? Who can possibly know this great God who created everything and owns it all? Verse four gives the answer. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by a false God. So who can know him? The answer is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So clean hands connotates the one who is free of sin, that is that outward sin, the things that you and I see as sinful in someone else's life because it's the things that that they commit, that they do wrong, that it's obvious on the outside. But you know what? A lot of us have sin that's not obvious on the outside, but is still very real. And so the second part of that is he who has a pure heart. So that is the things that somebody else might not could point to, but on the inside of us, we know are, are sinful things, the things that separate us from God. So who can come into God's presence? The one who is not separated by sin, either outward sin or inward sin. Both of these um, terms I think are really meaningful if you think forward to what Jesus is going to say about them centuries after this psalm was written. Jesus um, encounters Pilate at the, at the crucifixion, and uh, remember Pilate, what he does to show that he is innocent. He washes his hands. But you and I know that's not nearly good enough to have clean hands. We can't wash away the sins that we commit just by declaring ourselves clean and and doing some outward ritual. Um, The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Pure heart um, makes me think about what Jesus said. He he warned the Pharisees, the Jewish uh, religious leaders of his day, that they were like whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, They were full of dead men's bones. They had uncleanness, not where people could see, but it was in their heart. So coming back to this question, who can know God? The one who has clean hands and pure heart. Well, none of us really qualify, right? When we start thinking about our lives in that way, all of us fall short. Hang on to that thought. I'm going to have some good news for you in a minute. Let's go on. Verse 5 says, these people who have a clean hands and pure heart will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication or righteousness from God, their Savior. Uh, this gives you a little clue about who these people are that have clean hands and a pure heart, that um, their blessing is from the Lord. It's not really from themselves, because like I said, none of us have clean hands and pure hearts. Um, and then verse six, he says, these people are the ones who seek after God, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. I love that verse uh, because, for me, um, I want to be a part of that generation. I want to be a part of the people who really genuinely are seeking the face of God, who seek uh, out of all of our culture, who seek not the things of our world, but who seek to know God. And to have a relationship with him, I want to be a part of that kind of generation. That's the second verse or the second section. And then there's that mysterious word, Selah, um, which we don't know the Hebrew, uh, the meaning of that Hebrew word. Some people think that it means uh, there's a musical interlude that says that there's a shift coming in the text, and that kind of plays out in this psalm um, because the third Verse or the third part of this psalm uh, shifts focus from the one who can come to know God to the presence of God coming to be with man. Here's what it sounds like. Verse seven, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And then he repeats it almost verbatim, lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. That's a cool passage right there. Um, It's up to, uh, it is some controversy in understanding exactly what he's talking about here who are these gates and doors and who is the king of glory? If this Psalm was written by David as, as it is attributed uh, at the beginning of the Psalm, it's easy for us to imagine that he is writing this perhaps in the aftermath of the um, Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem uh, in the, because it represented the presence of God to the ancient Israelites. And so um, as that ark was brought in and placed in its place in the in the tent or tabernacle in Jerusalem, um, there was a great ceremony uh, where that that spoke about God's glory coming to uh, to Jerusalem. So uh, that's perhaps what he is seeing in his mind as he writes this song, Lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors or... Um, References to the entrance way into God's holy city, into Jerusalem, the gates and the doors um, that would have to be lifted up or opened to receive this King of Glory. Uh, and then he asks, Who is this King of Glory? Almost like if someone were coming to your door and knocking, you would say, Who is it? Uh, so the psalm writer also says, Who is this? Who is this great King of Glory? Uh, that is coming in. And then he answers his question, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And of course, you know that um, the Ark of the Covenant was um, a a symbol of power to them too. It was also a symbol of God's power uh, that would fight for them in in battle. So that might be the, the picture of what's going on. But this, um, like so many things in the Bible, makes a connection and echoes forward into time. And if it's about the ark, it might also just as much be about the ultimate king of glory, who is Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, came into these ancient doors and, and through these ancient gates as he rode on the colt of a donkey. You remember at the triumphal entry, entry. Um, he came in as the king of glory. Uh, And he came in to uh, go to the cross. He came in to fulfill that for which he came to earth for. And that was to be the Lord mighty in battle because it was through his life that he overcame in battle sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so this one echoes forward into time and kind of makes you see and picture Jesus also as the king of glory coming in to... uh, to be the one who is God's presence among us. I told you there was going to be good news about the clean hands and pure heart thing, the thing that we could never live up to, and that is the one who is mighty in battle, won the victory over sin that we could never win on our own. And it's through him now that we can ascend into the hill of the Lord, that we can become come before the presence of a holy God, even though we are sinful creatures. Through the righteousness of Christ, we can now come before God with clean hands and with a pure heart. But that's not all. This, this uh, passage, this last verse, echoes even farther into time uh, and, and gives you uh, the co- conscious to image the, the second coming of Jesus uh, when he will come through that eastern gate in Jerusalem. And uh, when the culmination of history will come and the king of glory will be ushered in and uh, to sit on the throne. And uh, that we have that to look forward to. I love this psalm uh, because of all the connections it makes, connecting the dots through uh, the centuries and leading us to Jesus. Who is this king of glory? It's the Lord Almighty. And it is Jesus Christ the, key, the uh, one mighty in battle who has won the victory for us. Have a great day.